people again. And we are glad to worship him. Inside your bulletin today is a sermon outline, and I hope you have one. If you did not get one, it may be easier for you during this sermon to follow along if you put up your hand and let the ushers uh, put one in your hand. So if you don't have one of these, just put up your hand. Jim or Tay will be glad to get you one of these. Or walk over to them and get it. We are in a wonderful but complex series this summer on human relationships. And today we really jump into the meat. This week and next week we are in the meat of what it is to have three-dimensional relationships. And so I've chosen for our text Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And you can read along with me on the outline. The Apostle Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So far the reading of God's word. When people talk about you, and they do, what do they say? What words, what adjectives, what descriptions do other people use when they talk about you? Perhaps they use words like these in our text, words that, that we love, words like um, kind. He's a kind man. She's tender-hearted. He, he's in step with the Spirit of God. He doesn't grieve God's Spirit. He actually walks in step with God's Spirit. She's compassionate. Do they use those words, words perhaps like those from our text? Or maybe they use other words from this very text. He's a bitter man. She's an angry woman. Never has a nice word to say about anybody. Full of slander. And clamor. What is clamor? Clamor is noise. It's just noisy. They love to hear themselves talk and cry out loud. When people talk about you, which words do they use? We've been learning all summer that the Bible provides a very effective and important system of discipleship by which we call one another into relationship, by which God equips us as human beings. We saw a few weeks ago that God is a relational being, and you are made in His image, so you are relational. We saw last week that there is, uh, there is passion in the life and, and power of God, and so you are made in the image of God, and there are emotions inside of us. And today and next week, we're going to really camp out on the fact that as relational beings, there are three dimensions to how we relate, husbands and wives, pay attention, 
parents and children, siblings, kids with brothers and sisters, pay attention. Anybody in school with you and your classmates? There are, there are three dimensions or major categories to relationships, and they are God, self, and others, right? God, self, and others. That's points one, two, and three. And underneath each category, there are two dynamics, two dynamics, and they are aware and engaged. Aware, what do I know about God, myself, and others? And then engaged, how then do I step toward them and manage in my relationship with all three? It's taught all through the Scriptures. I told you that Tay, Pastor Tay and Jim Westbrook and I attended a seminar by Ken Sandy that was very helpful. This is his life's passion, his life's work now, is in helping churches think concretely about relational skills and relational wisdom. And... and um, Uh, He says you should read every passage of Scripture asking, what does it say that makes me more aware of God or more aware of myself or more aware of other people and how to engage with them? It's very very helpful. And so so as you read the Bible, verse after verse, you're going to discover some of those things. But on occasion, as you read through Scripture, you know what you find? You find all three categories in the tight little text like the one I just read, with both aspects alive at work. And so all six of the relational habits are are woven tightly into this little passage. I want you to pay attention. We'll be unpacking it more next week. But we're going to start with God, and then with self, and then with others, okay? Let's see what we can learn from this. Um. Point number one, according to this passage, is that we should be God-aware and God-engaging because the greatest commandment is about our greatest relationship. You shall love the Lord your God. It's about loving God, and this is the first and great commandment. And so I gave you a definition, and these definitions come from Ken Sandy, gets them from David Pallison, uh, but they're very helpful. Letter A, number one, letter A, to be God-aware is Look at it with me. Your ability to interpret all of life in the light of God's character, God's works, and God's promises. And that's what Paul tells the church at Ephesus to do in the passage that I just read. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now here's the phrase. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying, be aware, pay attention, be alert. Christian, did you know you are sealed with the Spirit of God? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be sealed with the Spirit of God? Well, in the ancient world, they would all know. Whenever you wrote a letter in the ancient world, it would be wrapped up in like a scroll, and then they would take hot wax and drip it on the letter, and then you would take your signet ring and press it in on uh, the wax that would seal the document or a contract or a covenant. It would seal it, and it would say, this is what I say has happened. And Paul is saying that in your relationship with God, 
God has sent His Holy Spirit, as it were, who has stamped upon you an announcement to the world. This person is my adopted child, and they are now in my extended divine family. So it is written, so it is done. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And all the benefits of belonging to Jesus Christ have been given to you. And Paul is saying, are you aware of it? We need to be aware of God the Father, what He's done through God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit applies it to us. God awareness. There are times when I forget, when I'm not aware of my relationship with God. I forget who He is, what He is like. And um, I just want to tell you that I've written a bunch of Scripture passages. These, aren't, these are the passages that John Yenchko uses to get more aware of God. And I'll tell you, it's not just the Apostle Paul. The Apostle John, he writes something so beautiful in 1 John 4, 16, calling us to be God-aware. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Isn't that beautiful? Remind yourself every day that you have come to know. Do you know? Have you come to believe? Maybe you're here today and you would say, I am not sure I've come to know. Well, we're glad you're here. Our goal in this church is to disciple each other and to help each other come to know and believe. Have you come to that place yet? Because it's personal. The living God is not the, the God of uh, Thomas Jefferson and the deists. Remember the deists? They were the so-called enlightened people who said, well, yes, of course, there's design in the universe, and the universe is like a clock that God wound up and set up on the mantle, and then he walked away from it, and it just sort of ticks along. That's deism, but that's not Christianity. For God is personal. It's personal. It's personal. He does love you. Oh, I know there are times when it might not feel that way. But you must believe. This is, this is a matter of faith. This is an article of faith. I have come to believe in the love that God has for me. And the reason this matters is because a few verses later in verse 16, he says, we love because He first loved us. This God who is love has first loved us. Now, the reason that I underscore all this is because if you go in, in uh, study secular uh, relational dynamic theory and you go to a, a psychologist or a therapist and they work with you, they may work with you on your emotional intelligence. Remember we saw last week, it's not just IQ that matters, it's also EQ, emotional intelligence. And what the secular theorists say is you have to learn how to be self-aware and, and self-managed, self-engaged, and you have to learn how to be other-aware and other-engaged. Good for them. I applaud the secular therapist for helping people to do that, but what do they miss? What do they forget? God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Love, the love of God 
is not some make-believe fairy tale. It is real. And have you come to know and rely first and foremost on the love the Father has for you? Have you taught your children to know and rely on the love the Father has for them? They're going to face dreadful problems and enormous frustrations and great sadness in life. Moms and dads, teach them. Pray for them. Help them to know and rely on the love the Father has for them. And at a deeper level, and at a deeper level, my own awareness, it begins with what we talked about at the, at the call to worship. Psalm 29, verse 2. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And there is an awareness in the life of a disciple of God's glory. There is an awareness in the life of the person sealed by the Holy Spirit of the holiness of God. The exquisite beauty of the the clean perfection of God. Do you know this? That's to be God aware. I told you, I told you before about my old friend Roger Schmur. He's in his 80s now. He was a master at having family devotions. And I asked him once, Roger, when you do family devotions, what do you do? And, and remember what he said? He said, well, we talk about God. And in a sense, that's the most beautiful thing you can do, is introduce your children, your family, to the true attributes revealed that God has revealed about Himself, that He is love, that He is glorious, that He is wonderful. And then First uh, Peter says, because you have that through the knowledge of Him who called you, you have all things you need for life and godliness. I forget this. I'm not aware, God aware. And the other day I was worrying about something. We have any members of the hurrying and worrying club here? We have a few worriers. I, I, I was the president a couple days ago. And I'm all fretting, I'm fretting, I'm fuming. Oh, what, what is going to happen? And suddenly I think to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a God. He's your God. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He knows what He's doing. And I just spent time worshiping the Lord and my anxiety began to drain away. God aware. And then after you have that best gift, letter B, God engaging. And that is defined, Ken Sandy says, it's your ability to faithfully trust, obey, and imitate God. And I hope that's what I did that day. I was, I was you know, the, the chief worry wart at the North Shore Church. What does this mean? Paul talks about it here, engaging God, not in a negative way, but it's there. The God engagement is put in a negative way. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in the context of Ephesians 4, the grieving of the Holy Spirit is that time, those times when I start to think and act like a pagan. Hmm. And I forget to live in the freedom that Christ has already won for me. And I start, you know, he, 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 the lists in Ephesians 4, it's a pretty scary list. Lying, sinful anger, stealing, cursing, uh, unedifying speech, bitterness, unforgiving, sexually immoral. Okay, there we go, all of these things. 
You've been set free from them all. And you engage God. And you trust God. You know, one of our elders, Bill Melcher, I love Bill so much. Every other other sentence out of his mouth, at least to me, is John, remember Galatians 2.20? Bill, how many verses have you memorized? I don't know, but he's memorized maybe just one verse, but that's his verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I learn from this verse is I'm engaged with God. I'm in union with Christ. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. And all the benefits of union with Christ are mine. Sealed, stamped, hot wax, pressed down. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And you learn to say, as you walk through life, this is for you, God. You get out of bed in the morning. This is for you, God. On your way to work, this is for you, God. On your way to school, this is for you, God. You know, there's this uh, little statement that's in your, your uh, reflection in the bulletin. Sometimes we, we actually give a calligraphied copy of this to uh, families out of appreciation. And, and it says this, Christ is the center of our home, a guest at every meal, a silent listener to every conversation. I like that. Do you like that? That's what it is to be God-engaged and to know that He's engaged with you. Well, that leads to point number two. You're not only God-aware and God-engaged, you become self-aware and self-engaged. Look at letter A, where again we have a definition of what it is to be self-aware. It's your ability accurately to discern your own emotions, desires, strengths, and weaknesses. Why is this important, to be self-aware? Well, it's because sometimes we're not aware. I'm not. And there, there are these times when uh, my dear wife gently says to me, John, I don't think you realize what you are like when you fill in the blank. I don't think you see the effect you have when you A, B, or C. X, Y, or Z. There seem to be a lot of them I'm not aware. You know? And like the, like the, the, the time I buttoned my sweater and the buttons were too off, you know, and I went through the whole day. And I didn't have a friend who loved me enough <laughs> to tell me, somebody needs to teach you how to button up your sweater because the buttons are wonky. But it's deeper than that. It's, 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 it's the emotional stuff. Maybe uh, Paul says in verse 31 of our text, he he speaks about bitterness. Can you say I'm a bitter person? I'm angry. I want to fight. Some of you, before you were Christians, you were fighters. 
Now that you're a Christian, maybe you're still a fighter. You have to win. And, and all of a sudden, it seems to you like there's somebody who disagrees with you and the bell rings and you come out of the corner ready to go. Maybe not with your fists, but with your words. Is that you? Hey, be aware of what's going on inside of you. Do you see it? I told you uh, last week about the gentleman called his wife from the car, remember? He called his wife on the cell phone. He's driving the kids somewhere, and he left her a message on the home answering machine, then he hangs up. He gets home, and he listens to messages, and one of them was the message he left for his wife. Only guess what? He didn't hang up. He thought he'd hung up, but it was still recording then the entire conversation he had with his kids in the car for like the next 10 minutes. And he said, I can't believe my tone of voice when I speak to my children. Is that really me? Is that really what I sound like? Am I really such an angry man? He he didn't see it. I I didn't know, he says. And some of us don't know. To be self-aware. Where are we bitter? Where are we angry? Where are we... uh, 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 out of control. Self-awareness is your ability to pay attention to your own emotions, your strengths and weaknesses, and to say, what is going on in me? Yeah, I know, I know. The cool California dude, he says, hey man, I'm in touch with myself. Well, you know what? Maybe we could learn something from the cool California dude. Let's be in touch with what's going on in our hearts. Now, you might not struggle with bitterness. You might have John Yenchko's problem. My sins tend to be pride and selfishness. And so a verse that helps me be self-aware is 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Do you see it there in your outline? It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know this phrase, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? It's in the Bible like four times. It's in James, and it's in Proverbs, and, and, and it's in Peter. And, and why do you think God put it there four times? Because boneheads like Pastor John need it in the Bible four times as they read through the Scripture. God opposes the proud. And on those times where I'm concerned about my reputation, when I have the fear of man and the opinions of man somehow become overwhelming to me, at the root of it, at the root of it, is pride, Satan's sin, who said, I will ascend. And I need, I need to become self-aware of that. In fact, it, it's even worse than that. Jesus teaches you and me to be suspicious of our own hearts, to be self-aware. And friends, you see this verse in Mark 7, 21 through 23? You know, I sort of think Jesus needs to take the Dale Carnegie course, how to win friends and influence people, you know. What does Jesus say? He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Jesus, enough, enough already. Foolishness. 
And in my sinful flesh, the battle still remains. And so, pay attention. Be self-aware. The devil seeks to destroy you. He wants to tempt you. Your own flesh and the world and the devil are going to call you away from Christ so that you live like the pagan you used to be, but you do not have to. Be self-aware. And yet I know there are people here and they're saying to themselves, <clears throat> well, you know, bitterness isn't my problem. Even pride isn't, isn't really my number one sin. I'm just so discouraged. I'm just depressed. Life is hard and it just gets harder. I don't seem to get a break. I'm just depressed. And you know that happens. The Bible says it happens. Psalm 42, verse 5, you're in good company with King David. His soul is downcast. Circumstances really do have him down emotionally. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why is, it such, is there such turmoil? Why am I so disturbed within me? And so the Bible gives us words to speak honestly and to be self-aware. You see, my wife has permission. She really does. She has permission to say, John, I don't think you see how you come across. And I need that because so often I don't. Who do you have in your life? And more importantly, have you given the Holy Spirit permission to convict you and to show you, to gently reveal your heart to you? Hugo Rosero, he takes out the heart, you know, and does a heart transplant and and uh, just, you get to see the heart, your heart pumping. Self-aware. And then, letter B, turn over your outline on the back, self-engaging. And what is that? That's your ability to, then, now that you see, to master your thoughts, your words and actions so that they please God and they advance His purposes. And uh, our passage today speaks of several very active self-management terms. You know what they are? Brawling. Brawling and slander. Now there's, uh, there it is. You, want, you have the impulse to fight and then you fight. You're managing yourself and your left hook is pretty good and your right cross is, is ready prepared. Is that the kind of self-management, self-engagement God wants you to have? Not at all. What is the words at the beginning of the verse? What are the words at the beginning of the verse? He says, get rid of. Okay. Here's what he says. There is stuff in our lives, emotional stuff, thought processes, ways of handling life that he wants us to get rid of. Have you ever gone into someone's house and you suddenly realize these are people who don't get rid of anything. You ever meet anyone like that? They don't get rid of anything. And uh, <laughs> listen, friends, this is why we have a thrift store. We have a thrift store so you can get rid of stuff. You know, take your junk and let it be someone else's treasure. But please, please donate those 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 gently used clothes or household items or those goods. Uh, please, you can get rid of stuff. But actually, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say you're wrong if you'd like to keep, hold on to stuff. I'm not going to judge you, really. I shouldn't. The Bible doesn't say 
that a clutter bug is, is any worse than a neat freak. But the Bible does say, get rid of brawling and anger. And we're talking sinful anger, not righteous anger. That kind of rage, that malice, that harshness. It, it, it says get rid of it. And our thrift store does not want it. God does not want it. The only place for it is at the cross of Jesus Christ. The only place is to confess it and take it there. The only place is to plead the blood of Christ and ask for the Holy Spirit who has sealed you to renew and change you from the inside out. For me, for me, my verse for this is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Very important passage, at least for your pastor. He says, if you get rid of that other stuff, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, this is interesting. Notice how God-awareness is tied into self-management. Look at this, the, this is why the Bible is clearly the inspired Word of God. This put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's saying, you're sealed with the Spirit of God. You are, God is love and you are loved by God. Now, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Back to God awareness. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and whatever you do, whether word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all with a God awareness, with a Christ awareness. But as you do it, as you engage, do it in the, Lord Je- in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone says, Pastor, sounds great, but it's so hard to do. And the reason is, the reason it's so hard to do is because to do it, You have to die. You have to deny yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I am going to engage myself to put off my sin and to put on righteousness, I have to die. I have to die to that impulse. (coughs) When we do evangelism, we like to tell people, I do, come to Jesus and live. But we should also say full disclosure, come to Jesus and die and live. You know, that's the way it is. You have to deny yourself when you're a Christian. God's going to be wrestling with you in those parts of your heart that you're going to become aware of. And then you're going to have to engage and wrestle with them and put off the old man and put on the new through faith in Jesus Christ so that you don't grieve God's Spirit. There's a death side to Christianity. When the world says, look out for number one, you say, no, number one tells me I have to get rid of stuff. That's self-management. And then our text says, Put on kindness with compassion. For the grace of God, Paul writes to Titus, has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, literally to reject ungodliness. Isn't that interesting? 
the grace of God. I love the grace of God. This church loves the grace of God. You're forgiven through Christ. God's love is on you and for you, but that grace also is now wants to teach you to say no. To worldly passions and then to live a self-controlled, upright life in this present age. Okay, we're kicking this off. God awareness, God engagement, first part of relationship. Self-awareness, self-engagement. And now at the bottom of the back of the page, point three, to be other aware and other engaging. And it's right in our text, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And now you need to be aware of other people. This is defined as your ability to understand and empathize with the experiences and emotions and needs of other people. And who is our example for this? For those of you on the Haiti team, Jesus Christ is your example for this. Jesus Christ saw people and it says he was full of compassion for them. Jesus had compassion. We are praying for you, our team members, to have soft hearts toward broken people whose lives are terrible and struggling. He had compassion. He saw them that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, for the rest of us, it's not just the Haiti team. America is a a mess right now. America is a mess. What does she need? Does she need you to talk about and condemn and, and, and uh, speak ill of other people and all those wrong? What does Jesus have? He has compassion. You think other people are confused? They very well may be confused. He looks out over there like sheep without a shepherd. Are we so surprised? The world needs Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus. It needs the gospel more than it needs funding. And you are to have compassion for those who are confused and helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus teaches them and he engages with them and so you must. But first, first, Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you other aware? Apparently the Levites weren't. Remember the Levites? What did they do? They saw the guy lying on the side of the road and they tiptoed across the street and walked down the other side and they didn't see him. They were not other aware and the severe judgment of Jesus Christ falls on them. Who was other aware? It was the good Samaritan who saw, was moved with compassion and then engaged the others doing nothing from selfish conceit or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others, you see. The Bible explicitly commanding other awareness, and that leads to the last part of point three, other engaging. That's just simply your ability to serve others, to work with, to get along with, to bless and resolve conflicts with others. And Paul says in our text, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. Jesus said, Haiti team, the Savior did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. 
You go as our servant ambassadors. But the rest of us, well, it's still true for us, isn't it? He calls us to serve and to lay down our lives for others, to be kind and to forgive, to bless others. It all circles back at the end of verse 32 in such a beautiful way. Did you notice what it says? If, if you go back to the front of your outline and, and the whole text, verse 32, it says, because somebody's saying, preacher, who can live like this? And the answer is those who can say, as God in Christ has forgiven you. It circles back to God awareness and God engagement, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Have you come to the place in your life where the cross is precious to you? Or are you still perhaps under the illusion that you don't need the blood of Christ to cleanse you of your unrighteousness? Well, today I invite you. Today I beg you to consider being honest in your heart of hearts about your need for a Savior. For those of you who have, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The benefits of the cross of Jesus are yours and you are completely forgiven. And so you can be new in Him. Don't be too proud like I was for so many years. Ken Sandy, who led this seminar, you need to know, he he changed the face of the church in these past 30 years by starting these, these Christian conciliation services. He's trained hundreds of lawyers to keep people out of court and to move them to mediation to resolve their differences. It was called the Peacemaker Ministry. He has saved hundreds of marriages, and when they moved to divorce, he's worked through mediation processes that were healthy and and, uh, non-adversarial. He uh, has trained hundreds of churches around the world in conflict resolution. It's called the Peacemaker System. It's so powerful. We've taught it here in this church. But I was talking to him, And he said to Jim and Tay and me, the rest of my life is not going to be about peacemaking and conflict resolution anymore. I'm dedicating my life to teaching relational wisdom, to teaching churches and families, parents to equip their children in how to be God-aware, God-engaged, self-aware, self-engaged, other-aware, other-engaged, because he said, he said of all the conflict that I've stepped into and managed, he said if half of those people had any semblance of relational wisdom, they never would have needed me in the first place. North Shore Community Church, could we be people committed and growing in these things. These next few weeks are essential for our discipleship together. We come now to communion. We come now to feed on Christ. And this is the most God-aware and self-aware moment that you could possibly have when you rightly experience the real presence of Jesus in your life, wanting to do business with you, So this is a good time for us to take five or six or seven minutes to be quiet before Him and then to ingest, to actually engage our Lord by faith. I want to invite the elders to come forward.